Welcome to episode 94 of Breakout Culture. I'm Ed Vasey, the culture editor of Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Charlotte Metcalf, and I'm the associate editor of the magazine. And today we're going to be talking about photography and the way it's changing as a medium and increasingly blurring the lines between fashion and art. We're recording this podcast on the day that the new Black Vanguard, a groundbreaking exhibition of photographs, opens at the Saatchi Gallery. The exhibition is sponsored by Burberry and runs till late January, focusing on fashion portraiture that celebrates black culture. The new Black Vanguard has been created by the American writer, critic and editor Antoine Sargent, who in 2020 edited Young, Gifted and Black, a book that highlighted a new generation of black artists. The new Black Vanguard includes works by 15 black international photographers, and you're going to have to be lenient with my pronunciation. It includes Campbell Eddy, Tyler Mitchell, Renal Medrano and the Dean Jaweri, and many more, including Mahanila, a young photographer and filmmaker, and Kwabeni Seiki Apianiti, both of whom are with us today. Hello, Mahanila and Kwabeni. Hello, how are you? I'm all right. Hey, nice meeting you. Well, it's great to have you both with us. Our final guest today is Mariam Eisler, the Iranian-born photographer whose exhibition, If Only These Walls Could Talk, is at the Alonzo Kaim Fine Art Gallery on Cork Street. Mariam's photographs are set in the gorgeous, world-famous Hotel Norpinou in Arles in the south of France, which is used as an impossibly beautiful and glamorous setting to celebrate the beauty and sensuality of the female form and culture in the 1970s. Arles, of course, is the home of the famous annual photographic festival that's been going since 1970, Les Rencontres Arles. So we're delighted to have you with us too, Mariam. Hello. Hi, hi. Lovely to be here with you. Well, it's great to have all of you on. I have no idea how many people are now on this podcast, but anyway, we'll try and get through it. We've talked about photography a lot in the past, had some great photographers as guests from Gerard Mankiewicz to David Yarrow, but it's an ever-evolving art form and we're delighted to be focusing on it again. Mahalina and Kwabani, let's start with you. There's been a lot of buzz around the show that sets out to free the black figure from photographic histories dominated by a white aesthetic. There's a lot to unpack here, so to give our listeners an idea of what they're going to see and why this show is so important would be fantastic. Neither of you is one of the main featured photographers, so can you both start by describing the show overall and your own work? in the show. Perhaps let's start with you, Kobani. You're based in Amsterdam. Your work focuses on people who are prejudicially perceived or misunderstood. Tell us about your work in the show. It's uh, Kobani, by the way. I got there, I got there, but as of somebody with the surname Vasey, I live in a world of mispronunciation. <laughs> so yeah, the, the work of mine that's featured in the show uh, is the work I shot with uh, Manju Journal back in Ghana, my fatherland. And it's a thing we shot for Burberry, for Black History Month. And it revolves around uh, a couple of themes like brotherhood, togetherness, family. So we tried to combine all of these themes in, in this photo shoot. And this was the result of that. I've seen one wonderful photo, which is sort of, it looks like everyone's around an enormous sort of well. Can I jump in as a fan? For people listening, obviously it's a podcast, so let me describe this image. This huge image in the New Black Vanguard exhibition blown up to the full size of the wall. And it pictures a group of young men in Ghana and they're being photographed from below is this sort of semicircle of young men that sort of frames this beautiful blue sky and I just think personally as a fan of your photography that it's so strong and powerful because it gives you that perspective of of seeing them so close to the sky close to god close to being you know that elevated kind of perception and you I see that 
for me at least, I don't know if this was your reference, but I've seen that type of posing in other imagery throughout like black media, even in hip hop, the far side, um, one of their albums is a similar pose. It's called, I believe it's like the Michelangelo trope or something they call it but it's really stunning and my favorite image actually in the exhibition so I'm excited that the photographer of that image is right here I didn't even know but just quickly before we come on to you Mahanila which we're, we're dying to do as well but is this part of your um you've got a project called Golden Boy haven't you was that photograph a part of that project so this was advertorial for Burberry but yeah so like my main project that I work on is called Golden Boy and it revolves about, uh, around black boyhood. So all the, I go to different places in the world and I really try to explore black boyhood also for myself. Uh, what does it look like in other countries? How does it relate to each other? What are the, the similarities? What are the differences? And so I'm trying to create like a, a, an archive in which black boys from all around the world can uh, relate to also from for outsiders to relate to them because it's it's always you feel them from outside and you don't really get into their world so Mahanila, you you were mentioning album covers there and hip hop and things now you've done a lot of photography in this area well tell us what we're going to see of yours in this exhibition yes and also let me just correct myself it was nwa not the far side that used that godlike perspective that's similar to kwabna's work so yes uh the image you're going to see from me is on the salon wall the new gaze section of the new black vanguard and it's an image from my photo series called in ochre which is basically an ongoing photo series where i document black and brown people in modes of joy and happiness in the color yellow because it's a color that has a lot of historical significance in both of my cultures i'm half indian and half Ghanaian. Shout out to Ghana, the other Ghanaians in the chat. And um, yeah, so within Indian culture, it represents the sun. Yellow gold is obviously a huge feature within our clothing, our traditions. And in West Africa, the other side of where I'm from, it also represents royalty, regalness and gold. Obviously, especially in Ghana, it's called the Gold Coast because obviously that was a huge resource in that country. So for me, yellow really is an ancient color that speaks to both of my cultures so well. And also just on a psychological level, it's known to promote joy and happiness. And that's the kind of feeling I want people to feel when they look at my work. What do you both think, just before we get on to you, Marion, what do you both think this exhibition can achieve? Its aim is incredibly ambitious, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the one big takeaway for me when I saw all of that work together in one space was that this is going to be work that will be at the Saatchi until January. So often myself and the other photographers, and I think many photographers of colour would feel the same, our work is shown as a one-time thing for an event. Oh, this is the POC thing they're doing now and it doesn't last. And to be in such a prestigious gallery for such a long time I think the impact is going to be tremendous. So I think that's really powerful. And I've never seen this much black artistry in one space for so long. And what do you think the images that are on display there are in a position to change? In what way will it change our perceptions, do you think? What Antoine Sargent has, has talked about a lot is, you know, that till now, fashion particularly has been very much uh, captured through a white lens. I do think uh, what's important about the exhibition is that we get a lot of different views on like black, black fashion photography, because sometimes it's really pushed into one corner. 
and now you can really see like a space full of versatility in black fashion photography and i think that's really important that it's not just one thing let's come on to you marin because you're trying to change perceptions as well my images are very much anchored around an iconic location in France, which is called the Norpinus Hotel, which has this incredible dialogue with um, our art historical past, you know, especially in the field of photography. Helmut Newton has shot there. Peter Lindbergh lived there. And Picasso spent a lot of time there, you know, in, as, as a youthful person. He spent a lot of time in the arena of Arles. The city of Arles is not only photographic in nature because of the rencontre, but it also is very much anchored in its Roman heritage and hence the, the arena that exists, the bullfighting spirit, the culture, and this constant tension between female and male, the forces and energies are forever present and they are very much represented in this particular hotel, the Norpinus. And Norpinus in particular is known for its iconic suite number 10, where Helmut Newton shot Charlotte Rampling in 1973. And it, um, you know, there's that famous image of Rampling sitting on the console with that Ormelu console and the mirror behind her. And it's something that sort of permeated my own mind since I was a child. And it's, a, it's an image that really haunted me for, for many, many years. And to have had the opportunity to go back, to go to that hotel, to have gone there as a child and to go back and really as a photographer and be able to use it as a canvas for creativity has been an amazing opportunity. And so in terms of asking your question, it is, it is my dialogue with these greats of the past, but with a new perspective in the now, with potentially a female gaze on feminism, on femininity, and on sensuality. And it's really about owning as a woman, because that's what I do in my practice. I celebrate sublime feminine. And I, I think that you can be a feminist and still own your sensuality and your sexuality and your femininity and, and be proud of it. And of course, as you're of Iranian heritage, you know, this is now a massive issue in Iran. I mean, how do you think your exhibition and the timing of it will play into this massive debate? I'm having this great schizophrenic moment. I've left Iran in 43 years. And I honestly, I never thought in a iota of a moment that I would have the opportunity of potentially going back and to see the possibility, the mere possibility, the potential of a return at some point to experience my own cultural heritage, my own past, my own country is, is just incredibly exciting. Most importantly, to see that this wave of change, which is no longer about demonstration, it is a revolution taking place. The fact that it's being led by women, that it's anchored by women, and that men have now joined women primarily in this fight for freedom is incredibly exciting. And I think that we should all, all over the world, especially in the art world, especially institutional speaking, especially from the artist perspective, support this movement in the best way we can, because it is a borderless battle. Freedom in Iran will mean freedom for all of us, all over the world. It will mean the end of extremism, and just imagine that. So translating it into loosely into what I've done here uh, in my exhibition, it's really about freedom of speech, about freedom of owning and believing and celebrating your sensuality, your sexuality as a woman, and you know, depicting that in the best possible way. This is really a question to all of you. Do you think there's enough celebration of women's sort of beauty and sensuality generally? 
I think for someone who, like myself, who is a photographer working in both the fashion world, art world and the commercial industry, I think that I'm seeing more representations of what womanhood could be in the commercial space, which is interesting. It's not because I think that brands care about women, but I do think that the conversation is going there more and more and the consumer is challenging a lot of these corporations to do more with the imagery that they put out. So I do find that more often in my commercial work, I'm being asked to have more diverse subjects, diverse body types, um, diverse expressions of femininity that can include androgyny. And also, you know, the sublime feminine, as you describe it. There are definitely fashion brands and companies that are doing a lot to also subvert the um, European beauty standard that has been imposed on so many women. But for me, in my personal experience, it tends to be coming from the commercial, whereas with fashion, it's much more exclusive. And I think it's more about us being told what we should look like and what we should aspire to be. Whereas with the consumer has a little bit more power. So there's so much cultural stuff to unpack here because, you know, I I review decorations in the Black Fantastic. So there's obviously huge movement to make much more prominent, successful Black artists. There's obviously in fashion, you've got Edward Ennefel now editing Vogue and making a very big deal about, you know, promoting black models you've got andrea emily emily who is a nigerian british curator again celebrating black artists i mean there's a lot going on do you think real progress has been made no i I do think a lot of progress has been made but it's almost never enough the same from the women's side you always have to keep fighting for it because if you stop fighting for it it will digress back because maybe now the, the focus is a lot on the black culture, but what about Asian people or what about maybe Indian people? It, you know, it's uh, all of us have to keep fighting for that. The strength in the new Black Vanguard for me is that it goes beyond Black History Month. And I think with women, with black people, there is a lot of progress being made in these very specific time periods. Women's Month. International Women's Month in March, Black History Month here in October in the UK. But outside of those times, like, are we still seeing this kind of progress, this kind of barriers being broken? I don't think so. I don't think we're there yet. For me, true progress is when it's normalized that Black, all Black artist show is showing in like just a different time, that it's not just because it's Black History Month. You don't have to say anymore it's an all black show it's it's it just is or all woman something you know it should be okay this is the show how often do you go to an exhibition and it's like this is an all white show like never same goes with gender as well i think you know as you said all women all men you know it doesn't really matter it's just putting voices in conversation with each other i think it's also a thing we almost have to label ourselves like this like Black artist, black this, black that, or a woman this. Otherwise, people will not understand, or it's harder to kind of put you in a in a spot or a place. So it, it kind of helps you, but it also doesn't. I can't say that I can see that my work would have been in the Saatchi if it wasn't within specific exhibition that's about uplifting like black photographers. 
you know, maybe one day, but I don't think it would have got there this soon in my career if it hadn't been for the people like Antoine who are making a a point to specifically carve out space for those communities. But just as uh, Mariam said, I also feel like true artists, like we're not making based on just our identities. We're so much more than just our racial, you know, definition. I think this is really interesting. And Benny, what you were just saying is it's about, it's quite restricting in a way because Ed and I, last week we were talking to, on the podcast to Alison Lapper, the artist without arms. And we were using the word disabled. You know, she was saying she doesn't like the use of the word. Of course, it's it's personally restricting. You know, you, you've got to kind of use the label to push on through sometimes. Yeah, but it's always a artist's struggle because we don't like labels, but you kind of need them also. So it's a kind of two-way. You can actually apply this, you know, umbrella definitional, you know, territorial, you know, the need for to define to the Middle East in general. Middle East, for instance, is a very large region, right? And within the Middle East, you have 22 Arab countries, you have Iran and you have Turkey. Sometimes they even bundle North Africa in there. And just imagine the differences, the cultural differences, detailed differences between all these countries. And so we have to be careful about the nuances within these defined moments. Don't forget that this 40 years of Iranian unblissful moment, shall we say, is just, for me, it's just a little bleep. Because if you go back beyond the 43 years since the revolution, you're talking about 3,000 years of cultural heritage, which is very much embedded in the DNA of every single Iranian man and woman. We are at the origin of design, of mathematics, of polo, of chess, of uh, beauty, of poetry. I mean, you know, I grew up with my grandfather reading Rumi, reading Hafez, uh, Saadi, Omar Khayyam. And these are sensual moments, you know, the way they used to describe love and passion and wine. And so this is something that's very much embedded in us. And we are also by origin as a country, as a nation, as a culture, primarily a Zoroastrian, you know, derived culture. Islam only came in in the seventh century. I know that the media tends to focus a lot on the last 43 years. For me, it's just a blip and there is an end in sight, 100%. There has to be an end in sight. Have you seen any photographs of what's going on in, in Iran that are really arresting? Are there some, you know, brilliant photographs emerging? When you see, uh, I mean, really some things that are coming to mind in a most poignant manner is these men in arms, fully suited, you know, fully suited with helmets, gear, guns, machine guns, you know, standing, you know, in full force. And then you have a single woman, a single child standing in front on their knees with their hands up and saying, just shoot me. That is powerful. Or if you see this woman taking this headscarf off and brandishing it up in the air, and you see these images from behind of one single woman standing in front of, you know, 50 men, all geared up, suited up, militarily speaking, that's courage. It's reached a stage where they don't care anymore. You know, they're, they're not afraid to die in the name of freedom. They're killing by the hundreds right now, violently. They're massacring people. And we don't even hear it half the time in the Western media. But photography can change the world. Look at Tiananmen Square. Do you remember that image of the guy in front of the tanks? I mean, that Absolutely. changed. That was a kind of turning point. 
And this revolution is not only led by women, it's also a revolution of social media. If it hadn't been for social media, if it hadn't been for the internet, if it hadn't been for Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and, and you know, the TikTok, nobody internally would have been able to gather the energy, the force, the strength to continue. And most importantly, to realize, you know, Berlin alone last week were 85,000 people on the street protesting, expats. They're starting to realize within the country that there is a real force outside. So it's really a revolution that's being held for the first time in parallel from within and from outside. And that's pretty strong. And that's because of social media. I just want to focus back on the more domestic issues in terms of, you know, the promotion of black art in, in the UK. Uh, if it's not too much of a crunching of gears, it's, there are some parallels in terms of power structures, because I totally get what Mahanila was saying about, you know, why am I raised up because it happens to be Black History Month. I find that whole thing quite sort of patronizing still. And a lot of it is to do with who has the power, who are the curators, who are the directors of the galleries? They have one perspective. It's good that they're making an effort to shift themselves out of that perspective. But the only way it will be natural, which is the kind of theme we were developing earlier, is when you have you know black curators just happening to be running major galleries and institutions. The other thing is um, what you were saying earlier about the social me social media is, you know, certainly Nigeria and Ghana are rising kind of cultural powerhouses. You know, the amount of British Nigerian, British Ghanaian artists in the UK, fashion and so on is, is pretty remarkable in terms of their prominence. And I just wonder, do you think the kind of likes of Instagram and the more powerful kind of cultural resonance of countries like Nigeria and Ghana are going to change the power structures so that people, artists like you, can, don't need to kind of wait for Black History Month to be exhibited? With any institution, you know, it takes time to build it, to create that level of impact and influence. So I think we're still really early on in that. But I do think that there are a lot of incredible organizations that are actually founded and run by people from those communities. I do think that the Nigerian Ghanaian point that you made is very interesting because it is people from those West African countries that seem to be getting a lot of the spotlight when it comes to this. And I think that also ties in with Mariam's point in terms of just like only seeing one specific translation of a culture. Um, and I think like we're missing so much from the conversation in terms of East African artists, South African artists, North African artists. And my only theory behind that is just probably because we are the largest diasporas in the US and in the UK. And therefore, we have more access to education, privileges and things that have got us to a point where we're just maybe a few years ahead of the sort of cultural renaissance that needs to happen within the diasporas of those other countries. I work within music a lot. Afrobeats is thriving. Predominantly, it's West Africans and South Africans, and we don't really hear from any other African country. There's still like so much work to be done in terms of really giving a full representation of like African. And it definitely, it feels uneasy sometimes when we say African and it's really just West African. I also see this with Ethiopian artists. They use this base of all the Ethiopians everywhere to, to spread their music. So it, I think we, we need, as African countries, we need to use that. And I think social media is doing a great job of also retelling history for us. 
that needs to be like set right. Women in Iran have not been living under the hijab ban for thousands of years. Women in Iran have been extremely fashionable and in fashion magazines and driving and doing all of this stuff for a very long time. And this is just like you said, a blip. This would have been a very natural show to show in 1978, prior to 1978. It was a very forward, you know, thinking country. Everybody was at the top of fashion and, you know, and you had also a lot of fashion photographers of the time. Henry Clark, for instance, was one American fashion photographer who came to Iran in these wonderful, wonderful series uh, for Vogue, in fact, you know, set against the domes and the beautiful tiles of Esfahan and Shiraz. And, you know, you couldn't believe it. You know, Elizabeth Taylor came and did a whole series, you know, in Persepolis. And it's really a very, very beautiful history in the past of, you know, absolute openness and in fact, this is the first time in, in the history of the country where women have had to wear hijab, you know, a forced hijab. This is, you know, n nothing should be forced. People should be able to wear whatever the heck they want. How do you feel about like, because I feel like such a parallel in terms of like your, the place that you're from, its story being so tied to like conflict, war, all these things and missing, you know, the beauty of like, you know, Rumi and chess and all of these incredible things like I think it's the same conversation when it when we talk about blackness like it's so linked to the transatlantic slave trade and nothing that came before that so how do you feel like making the work that you do I had actually a conversation, I remember a photo London conversation where I was asked, you know, oh, as an Iranian woman, you know, how come you're actually depicting women in this sublime manner, which is kind of unexpected. And, you know, that's a very close minded approach of des describing what an Iranian woman or what the expectation of an Iranian woman is meant to be. And especially as a practicing artist, you know, what expectations of my artwork and my output should be. It's, it's just kind of ridiculous. It's just unfortunate that it got hijacked is the best way I can describe by, you know, this crowd of these men of God, as they call themselves, you know, who are basically doing everything but what they're meant to do, which is really doing their very best to, to close down minds and close down hearts and close down intellects and basically rob everyone of their brains. Absolutely. I think, Kwabna, I don't know if you agree with me, but like that's how why I love this fashion space, because it allows us to create fantasy with our like work in a way that I work in film too as a director. And I feel that often making films, it's very hard to be a successful black filmmaker that is telling a story that isn't about black trauma. Like, give me an example of someone who has you know, been elevated to that level, Oscar winning or whatever it might be, that hasn't told a story about slavery. It's almost like uh, if it's if it's just a normal or a mundane story, it, it isn't interesting enough. You know, it has to be like an extreme something extreme from our culture. This huge responsibility is placed on the shoulder of artists who really, frankly, I'm sure they would rather talk about, as you said, Manila, the poetry and beauty and and all of that and now all they have to do is you know become the spokesperson for a culture for a situation for a political situation that they didn't even choose and they have to continuously fight and so every act of art becomes a political act yeah because when you you kind of slip into that role you you get that role to be kind of the spokesperson you also don't want to take it because you want to help the cause 
but sometimes you also don't want to take it but uh you also feel this responsibility because you have the voice you have followers you have people listening to you that you should speak up about certain issues well i think what's so great about the exhibition at, at sarchi and in cork street at alon's gallery Zaka, is um th- these are images of joy and hope and great beauty and celebration and you know your photos are going to change the world so thank you all so much for coming on and talking to us it's really interesting to hear what you all have to say thank you thanks very much thank you for having us thank you take care you too take care next week we're going to be talking about winter theater looking at what's on at the globe which is always magical at christmas and which has a really exciting program coming up we'll also be investigating a brand new initiative by the national gallery to bring one of its 17th century dutch old masters to life by transforming it into a fun piece of immersive family christmas theater as usual you can find us at countryandtownhouse.com you'll find the latest digital edition of the magazine there as well as our sister podcast house guest carol annette who talks to some of the most fascinating and influential names in interior design we love your feedback so we want to hear from you if there's something you'd like to hear us profiling please leave a comment or email us on charlotte at countryandtownhouse.co.uk take care bye goodbye <laughs>